Kalo Pakon Lingeri, Podcast Nufshaistanu Mai, Faitakiman Teboma. Welcome to Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With me is my lovely co-host, Bianca Mangum. Hello. And in the great state of Wisconsin, we have William Annis. Hello. And we have a special guest today from all the way in Spain, Jaime Monadero. And tell us a little bit about yourself, Jaime. Hi, everyone. Well, I am Spanish, so you won't have to think, whoa, what what was this in Spanish? I wish Torco was here, like you said in <laughs> previous episodes, except for episode one. Uh, I have lived in Belgium for two years, so I know French, <laughs> and I can speak it fluently. And I am just starting to study Japanese, but I'm just yeah. starting, so don't expect me to know many things. And you said you're very beginning conlanger, are you? Yes, I am a very, very beginning conlanger. I I found out about about conlanging about uh, four months ago when this podcast started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... It's uh, nice to have you on, Jaime. Thank you. You should say why you discovered conlanging, because as much as I would like to think that this podcast did it... (laughs) (laughs) I was looking in the Wikipedia entry for Game of Thrones, and I I discovered that Dothraki was a constructed language. I flipped out. I was like, whoa, you can do that? You can create languages? I want to do this. And that directed me to the ZBB. And I found the podcast, which I have been listening to since episode one. And I love it. <laughs> See, that's what we want to hear. Yes. Well. Yes, just, just tell us you love us. Just the last part. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I hope this episode is up to your standards, then. (laughs) Uh, How about we just drive into our main topic today? Uh, We're talking about tense and aspect. This is going to be part of a two-part series we're doing. We're going to do tense and aspect on this this week. And then next week we're going to cover mood. But um, basically these three things are three things that are very commonly marked on verbs. And they all are sort of tangentially related. And it's, you have to kind of pick them apart, especially tense and aspect. Because they both deal with sort of temporal things. So tense, you have... At most basic, past, present, future, and it's just the time at which something occurs, and then aspect is more about things like duration and and whether 
something is continued or something is completed. And uh, I'll throw it to you, Will. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably you've explain sort of, it better than I. Yeah, you, you've sort of covered it. We, It was kind of hard for us to decide in planning this how to break it up because mood can be so complex and aspect is pretty complex. And we started off saying, oh, tense is easy. We can cover that in five or ten minutes. It's a little <laughs> more complicated than that, but mm-hmm. but uh, I, I think we it's it's easy to dis- easiest to discuss tense and aspect together and then move on to mood with the warning that the three of them are hopelessly muddled. Yeah, I think it's easier to get tense and aspect even more confused than yes. Yeah, because they are. Yes, because they are many and many times merged together. Right. Uh, you're here. I can ask about the preterite and then perfect. <laughs> yes, you can. I have been preparing this for like three days. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, All right. actually, George, the simplest tense systems are. It's like past and non-past, isn't it? Yeah. Well, um, different I, languages go either way. You can either have past and non-past, or future and non-future. Yeah. Although, from what I understand, past non-past is much, much more common, right? Uh, I, I think so. I'm not I sure can, about that, actually. I could understand that. I mean, there there are some... Yeah, there are many languages that like merge future and present. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm divagating. Just yeah. What reminds me? Well, for yeah, my guess is one thing I've noticed is that even languages that are aspect obsessed and don't mark tense much might still have future marking. Uh, this Which is why I think you might get a future non-future more likely to be, you know, written down on that typology chart as existing in languages that are otherwise mostly aspect obsessed. Now, here I wanted to ask you about something, William. Is uh, you specifically said that you don't like a certain thing that a lot of people learn in linguistics classes? Is that they say that. Uh, English actually has past, non-past, rather than past, present, future, even though traditional grammar states that we have a future tense. Right. Well, that's not what I I object to. Obviously, a lot of English grammar only cares about past, non-past. Right? I'm going to the store tomorrow. What I object to is people saying that English has no future at all just because it's paraphrastic. Okay. The sun will explode in a few billion years is a simple statement of the future. It is not a mood. Yeah. It is a simple statement of the future. The thing I Now, granted, the future... Go ahead, Bianca. Oh, Bianca? I don't. I really wasn't going to say anything, but someone's messing <laughs> okay. around. Whoever's moving, stop moving. <laughs> I was going to say. I think it might be Jaime. The future, yeah, the future is the moodiest of the tenses. Necessarily, we don't know what's happening in the future. It hasn't uh-huh. happened yet. So it's 
there's no way around a little bit of weirdness and uncertainty around it. And, and for example, the Latin future developed out of what was the subjunctive in, you know, Greek and Sanskrit. So there's no doubt that the future is weird. <laughs> um, it is. It is weird. Um, but that doesn't mean necessarily, for example, that English doesn't actually have a future. But That's the only thing I object to. Yeah, I think mostly when people are saying that, they might be parroting something, but I think the way it was explained to me in linguistics classes is English doesn't really have a morphological future tense. Right, which is boring. Yeah. yeah. It's true, but obvious. Yeah, but it will, although it has other meanings, it can it is used to just state simple future tense. But it's can just be. Yeah. Not always there. So I'm just looking at my list here of interesting things to say about tense. So also, and oh sorry, go ahead. Now go. No, go ahead. Okay. An interesting thing uh, when you compare English and Spanish. In English, there are many, many ways to express future. Going to uh, pressing continuous, anything. In Spanish, there's like two tenses. So when you're in English class in Spain, you have to learn all these weird. Uh, future tenses and what they're used for and you have tests over it and everything <laughs> yeah that's right what spanish has morphological future right yes. with with uh, an actual verb suffix and it has the paraphrastic ira right oh uh, yeah that's i too. think that's the only one that i learned to do yeah, but future i think i think that's about the only one, if not one of the few periphrastic futures that we have. It's not really extended like in English. And that's mainly for just near... It, it's literally just going to, and it has basically the same meaning, I think. Yeah, it's basically Actually, the same. Actually, it's literally the same meaning. Yeah. Mm. It, it's pretty much exactly the same. Um, so... What was I going to say? Oh, I had a question, sorry. Um... When you say the different features in English, um, which ones do you mean? Because, you know, I'm not... Oh, when I said the different features, I meant like when you use pressing continuous, when you use going to, when you use will, and because I can't remember right now, but there are... I remember from my from my English class, there are many... Many types of future in English, and you have to, and you use them each for, for a, for a different situation. For yeah. example, for timetables, you would use present simple. For things you have arranged with another person, you use present continuous, etc., etc. In Spanish, yeah, we I have think like. Oh, are we going, you mean? Like, present? Yeah. Okay, I understand. I had something kind of similar, I think, to what you had to deal with. Happened to me with Swedish. So they have 
is it like where you do you have to distinguish at times between what you put an intention to happen in the future and what will naturally happen like it will rain versus well it's not the same in english i don't think versus i am going to the store so like going to the store you put the intention in but the rain you can't make it rain did you have anything like that i had uh go ahead george Oh, no, you, you answer her question, and I'll get to it. Okay. Uh, for intention, let me think. Actually, what I remember doing is, what was I going to say? Uh, I forgot again. <laughs> well, uh, while you're well, oh, yes, mil- yeah. millions and millions of American high school students who are tortured by the Spanish subjunctive will be happy to know that Spanish students have trouble with some part of English grammar. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not conjugating Uh, verbs. I know that... um, I will explain myself. I have been in Belgium for two years. It's like the third year of English there, and it's my 13th. So my English is a bit rusty. (laughs) We didn't notice that. It I mean, after a certain point, like, we ask because we know it, but we don't consciously know it. But anyway, the point I was getting at, I was just curious as to your perspective. The point I was getting at is that even with the future, you still have different marking of, like, intention versus unintentional is how I read it. I don't know if that's how it actually is, I think. Intentional versus unintentional. I... I can remember some things, like, for example, we were told that you had to use I will open the door, for example, if you made a that decision on the spot, like the bell's ringing, I'll go open the door. But if you had planned it beforehand, you would more likely use going to. Or, for example, when you're making predictions, you would use going to, like, it's going to rain if you see physical proof. For example, the sky is completely gray. But if you say it'll rain, it's not that you've seen physical proof. It's that you just think it. Oh, yeah. Those are, those are really complicated. I remember I've ha- I had some friends from Hong Kong that one of them... Now, Cantonese, I don't know much about, but... I I am guessing that, like Mandarin, it doesn't really have much in the way of tense. But anyway, she would say things like, Will you go to Mountain Lair? Which Mountain Lair is the student union at our university. And when she meant more like, Are you going to? Whereas, oh. So there was sort of a pragmatic difference between the two ways of expressing a future event that she wasn't understanding precisely. Anyway, William, you were going to get to something. <laughs> um, I was just going to add two things. I believe that overt marking of intentional versus unintentional, uh, intentional versus, you know, predictive future is pretty normal. For example, the to get to a conlang, not the 
distinguishes an intentional future. Um, but there's also a hint of different um, distances into the future. So we've just been so far talking about past, present, and future, where we only point out times that are not now. Whereas it's pretty common in languages on this planet to have different degrees of past and different degrees of future. Um, one thing we can say pretty strongly, yay typology, is that you're always going to have an equal number or fewer distinctions of the future than you're going to have in the past. And that makes sense, right? There's less you can say conclusively about the future. So you might have a, a kind of close past and then and everything else past in some languages. And I've the, the the maximum I've seen is five different layers of past tenses. <laughs> That's intense. Whereas, you know, the last few hours, not in the last few hours, but part of today, within, you know, not today, and then, you know, a remote past that's only used for, for stories or, or things that happened outside your lifetime. So, yeah, I think the language I did for my field methods class had three pasts. It had, like, you know, your kind of just happened past, and then you had your typical past, which is, you know, from an hour to like a couple of weeks, and then the distant past, which was a while back. Do you remember yeah. how many futures it had? I think it only had the one. Yeah, yeah, that that's that that's a normal balance. Yeah, I, think I mean, I'm, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead now. Okay, I would. I went crazy with my calling tenses, and I did that near past, uh, ah, near past, uh, far past, and then uh, a prefix, I think, to indicate an unknown time in the past. But in the future, I did like much, uh, many more tenses to, to indicate different levels of, of supposition and prediction and things like that. So I guess uh, that's contradicting what William just said. Meaning less or equal features. That could actually get a little bit into moods. I was going to say, that sounds a lot like mood. If you're talking about supposition and such, that'll that'll get into mood territory. Um, Hmm. Have any of you guys used or heard about a natlang about, actually, I'd be interesting in knowing if there are natlangs that have this, that have relative past and relative future? Um, I was just wanting to bring that up, right? There's, this is why I realized after I'd said it, saying, oh, tense is easy, it's complicated. Because then you have to deal with the question of tense relative to now, tense relative to the situation you're describing. Mm-hmm. And that can get complicated. Um, I was going to say, I mean, English obviously has relative ways to mark relative tenses. Um, most languages do. Sometimes the whole language uses relative tense so that if you're telling a story, you know that past and future relate to the time of the story. And then English is wonky and, and marks relative tenses differently. Yeah. 
actually, that's that's it's interesting that you bring up stories because in the conlang I'm working on right now, Ayuruyo, um I originally had it doing just like a universal tense and then relative future and relative past. And I found it was murderously difficult to write a narrative in it. So I changed it to it's just straight up past, present, future, but it still does odd things with narratives like it the narrative defaults to a present tense, but then relative to the time of the narrative it changes tenses. Yeah. I would almost be inclined to say that's relative tense, but then I'd I'd want instead of narratives, I just want, you know, someone explaining say a story about how you were running to catch a, a bus and, and twisted your ankle. <laughs> <sighs> but um Okay. Is there anything else you want to say about tense? Because we have to cover aspect aspect too. That's going to take a lot. (laughs) I was going to say, I kind Um, of like the idea of having at least two different pasts um, in distance. That is, just because, you know, when I say it could have been, you know, it happened the other day. It could have been yesterday. It could have been five years ago. I'm not really telling you. But it happened the other day, so you know, I like having it divided in that. Oh yeah, then, there's I'm an, not being insane. There's an interesting thing in Spanish uh, that I wanted to talk about, which is in Spanish uh, we there's two there's two tenses that are almost interchangeable. Uh, which are the the simple perfect uh, present perfect simple and present perfect compound and can you give me an example of what those are just so i know uh present uh i i they may be called differently in different textbooks but present perfect simple is uh yo hice and okay. present perfect compound is yo he hecho. Okay, yeah. So okay. I it's the the present perfect compound is is used only in Spain except for the except for Gales, Asturias and Leon where they use the the present perfect simple just to to say the same. And in the regions that use present perfect compound, uh, there is a difference uh, between present perfect compound, which relates to a more uh, recent past. Wait, oh crap, I have been referring to it as present all the way. Sorry, it's past, it's spread right. I, I got my crossed. I think what you're talking about is actually, I remember having a professor, not a professor, a teacher from Spain, and the way you use the present perfect is what I believe I was taught versus the preterite is actually different in South America, 
If only yes. Torgo were here to tell us. <laughs> I think no, that. because I am here to tell you. But it's yeah. different in Spain than it is in South America. Yeah, in South America, I read about that. In South America, uh, uh, that present perfect is like present perfect and perfect in English, meaning have you had this experience? Yeah, but it's, it's if you use the preterite, uh, it's more like, did you do it? When did you do it? Uh, and things like that. I read about that. It's. I was. It's, can I add one thing? Sorry. Um, I know in my semantics class, there's some weird stuff that goes around with the perfect in English, and that I believe it actually re makes reference to two different time periods, especially. I think it ends up being three in the past, and if I get this wrong, someone can yell at me. And unfortunately, I sold my book that had the information in it, so I can't look it up. <laughs> well, I always thought that uh, I was thinking that uh, present perfect in English actually had an aspectual distinction. Like, uh, I have done something refer would be like a perfective it would refer to a completed action um uh, yes sort of. i think so i'm not it, sure i'm not sure about the aspect part but i do know that it references an extra point in time than just the simple past i think yes, awesome. Go, yeah, yes. The, the the what what gets called the perfect in english is a pretty complicated thing which I was hoping no one was going to bring up, because it does a bunch of different jobs, one of which I would consider purely aspectual, and then others that are tense. So this experiential sense that was mentioned earlier, that seems to be more an aspect thing, like, have you ever eaten badger? <laughs> yes. Actually, right. the, our English teacher told us that, that the simple past led more to... to the fact, and then the the per, the present perfect related more to have you had this experience. So it was more like an exp talking about an experience, and she explained it as have you had this experience in your whole life? Right. Putting examples with ever and things like that. Sure. Yeah. Sure. The, the the point of the perfect in English is that it has an effect that extends to the present. That's uh, the difference between did yes. you shut the door and have you shut the door. And that's where this sense of of um, experience, it makes sense for that sense to get glommed into that. Because obviously, if once you've experienced something, that remains true for the rest of your life. But George, you're going to say? Present. Yeah. Although... Um, and I, I I understand that the that the that usage sort of differ, differs between dialects, particularly between the U.S. and Britain. But I'm not sure on the difference. One thing I'm thinking of the past perfect in English is a totally different thing in that it in narratives it can note a past that's further back from the past of a past tense narrative, which is even right. and, wacky. And, and it is sometimes called an anterior past. Yeah. <laughs> we thought we could do tense in five minutes. We were nope. foolish. <laughs> this may yeah. be the whole topic. 
Right. In fact, we have talked for about 30 minutes about it. <laughs> it, it gets quite complicated the more you think about it. Because um, you can, I mean, you can obviously, oh, this present, past, and future, we're done. Well, there's a lot more that can be going on there. Mm-hmm. So, George, why don't you just edit and go back, and we'll say <laughs> we're just talking about tens today. <laughs> We might even have to do a fourth episode where we try and combine all three and not have our heads explode. No, I mean that really. Let's let's skip ten. Let's skimp aspect and and stick with tens. I agree. Okay, well, let's yeah. Do we have okay. any more stuff to talk about with tens? I mean, yes. Yeah. What yeah, about like progressive versus non-progressive? It drives me aspects. nuts. That, those are aspects. Damn it! Let's, let's, Damn it! Let's, okay. Damn it. <laughs> you so, can edit that out. <laughs> you will. So Swearing is talking. only allowed in episode 13. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. So we've been talking so far about tense as it relates, obviously, to verbs. But you can also attach tense to nouns in some <laughs> languages. Yeah, so in English, we have um, things like the suffix to be, like the bride to be. Um, and that indicates future, but it's a little bit specialized. We have the prefix X, so ex-wife, right? <laughs> Going from bride-to-be to ex-wife. Um, <laughs> but there are some languages where the, you know, a tense marker that goes on to verbs can also be equally well slammed onto a noun. My favorite are called decessives. Um, which are used to indicate usually that someone's dead. Oh. So, for example, the the Washoe language from from North America has um, a, a suffix "ungio," which is sort of a, a tense combined with aspect. So you can either use it like a tense, "hash ungio egi," which meant you know it was raining but has stopped, or you can smack it onto a noun. Which means my deceased parents. They were living, but now they they're were, not. But now they're not. <laughs> yes. um, so, and then uh, uh, Tuscarora, which is what's it related? It's related to Mohawk, which probably more people have heard of, um, has the same suffix, but it can either indicate that someone is deceased or that they are no longer fulfilling a particular role. Uh, so that a, it can either mean. My ex-wife, because we're divorced, or my ex-wife, because she has died. Huh. So it gives a whole new meaning to the the phrase, speaking of someone in the past tense. Right? Right? <laughs> so... There I mean, are some interesting things in Japanese. For example, you can... Uh, adjectives uh, admit tense... Uh, marking so basically you can speak of an adjective in the past marking the past for example if you go to a let's say concert and someone asks you about that concert you can say it was interesting and because the interesting uh, base form is omoshiroi so you add the kata to mark uh, a past. That's interesting. Is that 
I know that Japanese has like two different types of adjectives, and one of them it works does. more like it verbs. Ha- is that right? Is that where I you ad- would? Yeah, they're called I adjectives and na adjectives. Yeah, they conjugate differently. For example, you can't do, you can't quite do the the kata thing on the na adjectives. Because you have to like inflect the second part, the des part. Mm-hmm. So, so instead of saying, for example, let's say it was it was famous, instead of saying present would be you may not des, but past would be you may not deshta. Yeah. Yeah. So well, where you are inflecting the des part, the latter part. So. Without making it too much about Japanese, it you, you know if you had a language where you had adjectives in general or a class of adjectives that behaves a lot like verbs, you could you could add tense onto it. That's an interesting idea to. Yes, actually, they they also inflect neg and negative, just like ver- verbs. So you uh. can say something was not interesting or not famous. <laughs> by inflecting the adjective instead yeah. of the verb. Um, let's take another look at this. Can I talk about one weird thing that relates to mood? Sure. Sure. Let's let's. And then and then we'll have have gone through gone through my entire list of things I wanted to say about tense. Um, it is common across lots of different languages to create the counterfactual mood by combining past and future marking. I would have gone. Oh. So English does this. Um, uh, Navajo does the same thing, and I don't have an example handy, so I won't produce one on the spot. Um, but it combines... Uh, a, a, it's two different kinds of futures are both possible to be combined with this kind of past imperative past imperfective uh, particle thing to, to, to indicate the, the counterfactual. Huh. So when, you, when you're getting, it's kind of a mood thing, but because it's marked with tense, I thought it, it, it seemed worthwhile to bring up here. Yeah, I completely that's an interesting thing. It is, it is definitely a mood thing, but yeah, I never thought of wood quite that way, even though I knew wood is past tense of will. I just didn't really think of that's because it's modal and it gets all crazy. It is a little <laughs> bit crazy to see in English. English. I mean, wood is not. I mean, wood is not. Yeah, wood is complicated. Well, wood it's is, like a historical past tense of will or something. Um, yes, it feels somewhat weird to to refer to it as a a past of will because will is future. Yeah, it means future, so it's kind of the future of the that past. contradicts. <laughs> <laughs> well, well no. sorry. What? Someone's getting a phone call. No, it's not a phone call. Um, it's. it's an I'll alarm. explain to you later. Uh, when, okay. When we end. Anyway, I can edit that out. Why don't we move on to talking about Klingon? Yeah. Oh wait, could I could I say something about 
that relates to aspect, but also to tense. Sure. Yeah. In Spanish, and in and in French too, there is an easy way to to differentiate before between perfective and imperfective, meaning uh, whether an action is done when you're talking about it or not. So that would be if if the verb is in a simple tense, mm -hmm. it's imperfective except for the preterite uh, simple perfect, which is perfective. This doesn't sound simple at all. <laughs> uh, are you talking? So if your verb has only one word, it's per it's imperfective unless it's a certain tense, which is perfective. You're unless talking about preterite, preterite yes. and imperfective, right? Yeah. Don't yeah. even... Well, I have issues with that to this day. And then I think we kind of... I want to say this. Uh, we kind of paid lip services a little earlier, but you can have a language that just doesn't have tense at all, which yep. is... the oh, that's like, true. Like the norm in Chinese is it does actually have a way of marking future that's analogous with will, but in general it just doesn't have tense, mostly. And did I say this already, that that even languages that don't usually mark tense might still have something future-like? Yeah, you, you mentioned that, and that's... I'm sort of reiterating that, because... Yeah, yeah. Like... Chinese does that, I know. And yep, Chinese, that. Navajo. Oh. Anyway, why don't we move on to Klingon now? Um, I know this is another language that uh, Bianca doesn't like. <laughs> well, to be honest, I think I have a point on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, um... Let's go into the back background. Klingon was created by Mark Okrand. It was, um, I think other people had created phrases of it, but I believe he created it. He was he was hired mainly for Star Trek Three at first, right? I think that's right. Yeah, and um, the. The main thing you have to remember looking at Klingon is he was asked to do a very harsh and very alien language. And with with that, he made something deliberately crazy and bizarre and ass-backwards. And retarded. Uh... So the like Yay, the first personal opinions. <laughs> Sorry, but I it is like the first thing I noticed when I started looking at Klingon is I found a consonant chart, and normally in a natlang in a lot of conlangs you can find like the series the patika patika and all that. It's there's there's a little bit of there, there's at least some level of symmetry and in the first four, few lines of that. In Klingon, it looks like he took the consonant chart and threw a, 
threw darts at it. It's more like he aimed for the outside, so he'd get a nice circle around what normal, <laughs> typical sounds you have. Um, yeah, it's just like, yes, if you're going to go like... alien, you don't even have like an epiglottal. I'm disappointed. <laughs> you're 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 annoyed that it happens not to have one strange sound. You know what? At this point, it might as well. <laughs> no, it could. So, I've read his dissertation on the Mitsun language. He could have gone with um, quite stranger sounds than he did. He was very restrained. He really? could easily have gone the direction of making Klingon the first language to make ejective consonants popular instead of not V. He could very easily have done that, but did not. But ejectives are awesome. Ejectives are awesome. <laughs> they are awesome. But it, it, it's, the chart is weird, but it's not because he has an enormous number of strange sounds. There are only a few of them. It's weird because... It's There's weird. no coherence between the sounds. Yeah, it's not weird because the sounds are any really particularly strange. There are some that are very difficult, at least uh, for us English speakers to say, like the the uvular affricate and such. Yes, but <sighs> they're they're not that strange. There's there's things that you could reasonably teach an actor to say if you have a really good speech coach. But, um... Which they didn't. <laughs> well, it's... But the, the <laughs> problem, the, the issue with the phonology is, is it has all these gigantic holes. It's uh, like how not to choose your sounds. I mean, but, there should be I at mean, least a little bit of coherence between the sounds you're choosing. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to have the complete series, but... We don't We don't want to spend the whole time talking about the, the phonology. I'm just saying, if you're going to... We're going to talk about it. We should talk about how to not make the same mistakes. <laughs> but, I mean, I think it was deliberate that he did that. I don't think I, it's the best idea for now, everybody. I think but. he could have made something strange without making it stupid. Now that we are talking about consonants, I want to add one thing. In the Klingon Language Institute webpage, there is a banner on the top that changes, that shows a different phrase uh, whenever you refresh the page. One of those phrases is speak forcefully. And yeah, in well, another page, um, it says that if you are projectile spitting over your your partner while trying to speak Klingon, you're doing it right. This is this is something. This is this is just something that uh, the the people who teach people Klingon. Uh, say is this has to be spoken forcefully, but I think it's more of so that you get the the gruff Klingon voice to it rather than anything particular in the language. But yeah, well, no, it's 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 in the grammar as well that Okren wrote that you know <laughs> you might you might you this strongly um, aspirated constant you might eject little spit Klingons do not worry much about this. <laughs> yes, actually, uh, in the series, between takes, they had to 
to clean spit off the actors. <laughs> if they were speaking Klingon to each other. So that is... Ew. <laughs> I'm not gross. sure that has... Is, is that... True. I wanna. I wanna know. Well, but, look that um, up later. I don't know. I found it in the most, uh, of course, the most verified and clear source ever. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, the beyond the the uh, phonology and also the. The Romanization, which I'm not going to tackle. I mean, it's, oh no! Anybody no, 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 listening, no. it's kind of obvious that uh, capital. I think, I think we can sum this up in my notes about Klingon for the orthography. I think I called it. Sh so I think that's all we have to say about it. <laughs> if oh, we I have start to edit that the Romanization, Biancas, one of Biancas' vein will pop. <laughs> I'm uh, completely sure. But beyond that, I mean. I looked at um, some other stuff. There's not a whole lot online about Klingon. All I found was these, like a set of series of six questions. But I got enough about it. Like there's things like it uses the it uses the um, s similar um, prefixes on verbs that we talked about in Tua and in in some uh, certain uh, American Indian languages where it encodes the subject and the object in one affix. Right. I thought, yeah, that yeah. was... Oh. So, <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, as you say, so I must confess that I have a somewhat fonder memory of Klingon than you guys do, simply because... I was inventing languages before I had the internet, because <laughs> I'm the old guy here. And getting my hands on the Klingon dictionary was a big deal and introduced me to a lot of interesting linguistic ideas I was not going to find in my high school library. Mm -hmm. Things like the augmentative or diminutive or different kinds of ways of approaching clause structure. What, you couldn't have found a Spanish book? A Spanish does... Um, Spanish does not do things at all like Oh, I'm just Klingon saying, does. you know. I'd already had French, you know, one romance language is much like another. It was boring, right? Yes. These I knew. I, I want to see something new. I think she was just talking diminutive and augmentative because Spanish yeah. has suffixes for both. But anyway. Sure. But <laughs> no, I mean, when you're 17 and there's no internet, seeing um, that transitive verbs are conjugated for subject and object with prefixes that can't be analyzed, that blew my little mind. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like the article I read about it, because it's so hard to find anything on Klingon. I had to read articles about people who read about it. And they uh -huh. were like, oh my god, I read that, you know, the, the verb, you know, you think Spanish is hard. Well, Klingon, you have to agree for the subject and the object. And I was like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an interesting point is that um, Paramount apparently has been very defensive of this particular bit of intellectual property mm -hmm. so I don't know if there have actually been problems about people doing things like posting a verb chart I know they 
gave a takedown on a um, iPhone Klingon dictionary, I think. Hmm. Bastards. Right. So if you listen to the interview the LCS did with Paul Fromer um, almost two years ago now, um, they're very preoccupied with this issue of who owns an invented language. And Klingon, unfortunately, is the bad example because uh, Paramount is kind of cranky about it. Um, And uh, the inventor... um, Sometimes gives out new words, but is much much harder to get in contact with than, say, Paul Fromer is. That that has been the ownership issue, though, has been an issue since Klingon, though, because not the yeah, Paul Fromer is more available, and then with Dothraki, David J. Peterson is very available, but neither of them can release their reference grammars, right. Why would they do that? You would think by releasing it, they could get more publicity and more people interested into it. But that's not the way it, these it, people are thinking. Sure, but in the yeah. case of both, in the case of both Navi and Dothraki, there are still movies and TV episodes to be made, and they probably do not want hate mail from fans saying your genitive is wrong in scene five of episode two. <laughs> Right? They like, bitches, please. People mess up when they're speaking. Right. Anyway. Right. They, they want, want yeah, yeah, and consider, I don't know. They, um, they want it done. They want it done and everything that needs to be canon, canonized before they release things. That's I suppose. My guess. But my guess. The thing is, so many actors have... I can tell from snippets of of Klingon that I've heard that not all of the actors are pronouncing it properly. (laughs) Oh, and if you're getting the Klingon from the TV series, it may never have been seen by Okrand. It may have been some some flunky with the dictionary working for the scriptwriters. Apparently, the Klingon in the shows can be quite wretched. It is quite horrible, because I don't really remember the movies that much now. But I remember from the show, it was just like, why even bother? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, it's that's I've I've like uh I recorded one uh song that I'm not going to play, but it so obviously was such bad playing on that it didn't even sound like playing on. Yeah. But oh, anyway, can I say one thing I liked about playing on? What is it? I like the fact that even though, you know, Klingon is with the KL, whatever, in English, I like the fact that he changed it, that that would just be like some crazy human way of saying it, and that, you know, it's really the lateral affricate, yes. I believe. Yeah, that, yeah, that's actually something that I like about what Okren's approach as well, is that he took all the established names and such like Klingon and Kalos and Kronos and all that, and he decided those are the anglicized forms that the humans use. They don't have to be the same as the original Klingon forms. And I really like the way that he did that. I agree. And he had to, in addition to that, he had to try to make brief dialogue that had been invented by Doohan, I think. Scotty. 
think yeah. Scotty's responsible for the Klingon in one of the movies. Yeah. Damn it, Scotty. Yeah, right. And 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 Okrand had to try to to you know retcon that. He had to try to make that make sense somehow. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so that that put constraints on him as well. I believe Scotty's missing a finger. I also think he's dead now. But when he was alive. <laughs> okay. Where's my here... decessive? Yes. Why don't I play a little bit of Klingon singing? This is Worf and some other guy I don't recognize. But uh, this 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 gives an idea of the, the odd sound of Klingon. Okay. <laughs> um, any comments on that? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, I actually... I collect books on invented languages... And uh-huh. the Klingon dictionary is a must-have, even if the sound system is weird and the orthography is funky. Oh, I, I the have orthography wanted... is worse than funky. Well, well, I think his idea was that if he wrote the the letters uppercase, it would be a warning that it wasn't the letter you thought it was, but something similar. Yeah, he actually, I think that was something that he has said about it. Is that yeah. it was a warning? Yes, he said it. Yeah. And his orthography is designed for the actors. It's not designed for linguists. So that is... Yeah. I mean, I was going to give him a break in that when it was invented. When was it invented? Quite a while ago, right? You said you were in high school. Yes. All right. And, you know, back then... 1985 is when the first edition came out. Okay, so it's older than me. Um, And older than me. And older than... Jaime. Jaime. Yes. Um, so, you know, I was going to let him off the break in the technology front and that it would probably be a lot harder to typeset a book with weird symbols and crap. Yes. So, you know. Plus, he'd already written his dissertation. And if you've ever looked at a linguistics dissertation written in the 50s, 60s, or 70s, you wonder how anyone got a degree because it's typewritten. Except you had to go back with each line with your, you know, pop out the, the weird typewriter wheel and stick in the die critics one lame what? <laughs> lame terrible. So he probably wanted to avoid that yeah, yeah i mean i can understand that i i i understand now fully that he why he chose capital letters instead of <laughs> for, well, actually, for us it's we... very easy for us well, it's very actually... easy. oh what? sorry go ahead no go ahead well, actually, we English speakers can't really complain because at least he has a letter or a digraph for each for each sound instead of having two letters for each sound or a various array of sounds. We're not getting into English spelling, okay? Because <laughs> well, if you think I'm pissed about Klingon... I'm far more pissed about English. I remember, <laughs> I remember you saying, I don't know what episode, 
but I'm stuck with stupid English. I don't know what it was about, but I still remember it. <laughs> English is stupid. At least the spelling, you know. The language All right. is fun. So, anyway. back to Klingon. Yeah. There are one or two things about it that make me crazy. Um, for the most part, it is an interesting language grammatically. There's nothing obviously where he just threw up his hand and gave up and said, I'm just going to do this like English. He's got the training for that not to happen. That said, it's awfully regular. It is, isn't it? It's really regular. I think it has no irregular verbs. No irregular verbs and no... Uh, did we mention that it, that the the plural markers on nouns distinguish animacy, sort of? Yeah, I think that's the only funky thing I came across. Of course, it's so hard to find anything. It's kind of... Right, so Klingon plurals are either plurals for basically beings capable of language, plurals for body parts, and plurals for everything else, right? So that's a little joke about these warriors who are hacking people to bits, so there are pl- special plurals for body parts. <laughs> um, the, there are a few places where it looks like he just gave up and did throw up his hands, though. So Klingon distinguishes um, conjunctions and, and the two kinds of or, and you can have one word that's used for joining nouns and one word that's used for joining sentences. And they're palindromes, right? So the word for and slash or for joining nouns is jok, and for joining sentences is koj. For either or, for nouns is rap, and for joining sentences is par. Hmm. So that's like, oh, that's not natural at all. I was going to say, I don't random... think having the body parts as a separate thing is that weird. Uh, maybe not. Well, it depends on how you use it, because I was going to do this where I have the dual, but I was going to get rid of it except for body parts, which, sure. you know, tend to come in pairs. Right. So, I don't and think it's and... that weird and crazy, but it it is kind well, of maybe, maybe it started off life as a dual and then became associated with body parts because people are symmetrical. It could, could be. be. Yeah, I could see that. Because Klingon physiology is not that different from human on the surface, at least. Yeah, so. let's, let's not even... I <laughs> 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 the old, old series, the original series, the only difference was they would have beards. Evil beards. <laughs> the beard of evil. And, and they were mostly copper-skinned, too. And tan-skinned, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. I think they used shoe polish for that. That must have smelled wonderful to have. My God. (laughs) (laughs) And if their their livers are destroyed, all the Klingons are gone. Um, (laughs) So it's it's hard for, yeah. So I guess the thing is, Klingon, if you can find the dictionary for cheap, get it. It's hard to find online because Paramount gives the smackdown to people, apparently. Hmm. I actually want to get the Klingon dictionary. It's on my wish list, but I never actually bought it. Um, I was going to say something. So, one of the things that was um, 
interesting when shortly after Avatar came out, um, Erica Okrent, different from Mark Okrent, and Paul Fromer agreed to that. answer questions to was it the New York Times? Some newspaper. There's a huge number of questions that the two of them dealt with. And some I'm forgetting how I learned this. She thought that Klingon was easier than Navi because it didn't have infixes. But infixes are so you easy when you get used to them. Yeah, it takes about a week yes. or two for beginners to get used to them, but yeah. Well, I mean, you have to... Like... The, the issue is that infixes, you always have to figure out where they go. You have to what? You have to figure out where they go, because different languages put infixes in different places in the root. Sure, but the, the rules are easy enough in, in not be. Does not be have more irregularity? It does. Oh, yes. Anyway, Jaime, you were going to say something? Uh, I was just going to say that you can't really judge a Conlang's difficulty by whether it has a, as a certain feature or not, like, for example, infixes. Mm-hmm. It's not only that. Well, yeah. that's true. I, there's the question of... How quickly can you get a very basic command of, say, not V versus Klingon um, and, and be able to say simple sentences um, compared to – and we'll just ignore the question of having a really deep understanding and the ability to produce complex sentences spontaneously. In my opinion, because the morphology of Klingon is so complex, even if it is regular, it's harder it, it Klingon does have a lot of a lot of stuff that goes on to the verb. And yes, I think both the verbs and the nouns can have uh, right. So there are uh, nine, ten positions where affixes can be whacked on to the Klingon verb. That includes the conjugation, and then a whole bunch of other you know aspect and dependency and other things, um, evidentiality, so on and so forth. So right, now in, I am, right now I am so happy Spanish does not have infixes. Ten positions. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, well, um... So I was it just going to say, it my, does my have a lot more... That, I, sorry. Go ahead, George. It, I, I will say, playing on, at the, at the first glance at least, I, had, I haven't gone into either of them very deeply, but I think Klingon does have a lot more morphology than uh, Natvi, and that is one thing that will trip you up learning a language is lots and lots of morphology. If you're used to speaking languages that don't have a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if nothing else... I was going to say. I was going to say something about. I mean, Klingon deserves props because it's probably the first conlang to have a speaking population that is not people making the movies. Mm-hmm. Yes, That's true. Like in the Big Bang Theory, Sheldon. Sure. Okay, <laughs> how do people learn how to speak it 
when I can't find anything on it. They get well, the book. They buy the book. You buy. You buy stuff. You buy the book. I actually have a little bit of Sheldon speaking Klingon. <laughs> His Klingon is not great either. Yeah, it's 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 not great, but I I can play it for you guys here. <laughs> now fetch me Will Wheaton. <laughs> Botash beer, jabluki red. Did that guy just say revenge is a dish best served cold and Klingon? I believe so. What is wrong with him? Okay. Anyway, I'll stop it there. But uh... that's sort of yeah. that's sort of Klingon with a French accent. <laughs> it has. It has all. Uh, he's not getting some of the the retroflexes and some other weird sounds, right? Is he? <laughs> well, what do you expect? Yep. <laughs> if you. <laughs> If if I'm you sorry. listen if you listen to any of the episode where he tries to learn Chinese, you will understand he's not good at this sort of thing. Anyway, yeah. Bianca, were you going to say something? Uh, no, I just remember my boyfriend and I were watching that movie, and I think I was not paying attention at the moment. <laughs> and I heard like I'm trying to think of what I misheard, and it wasn't like <laughs> I forget now, but. It's a horrible joke we have about that exact quote. Uh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> okay. So, uh, just, yeah, Klingon, <laughs> it's big. Everyone should know about it. Every conlanger should, should know a little bit about it, just because if you are trying to explain your hobby to people, it and not V are maybe your only choices. Well, now, now that the movies are out, maybe you know. I think Natfi is going to be more popular now. Uh, I think yes. It, I think it already I'd, is, yeah. I'd say Natvi, Klingon. And Tolkien. And yeah. Tolkien. Maybe Dothraki. In a lot of circles, the Game of Thrones is very popular. I've never even heard of it until you guys talked about it. <laughs> you must not have HBO. No, I don't, I'm going to watch TV except for my soccer. TVs are so unnecessary. You don't have a TV? No, I do have one because I have to watch my soccer games. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's there's the problem of you don't have anything, any. Uh, you have to have HBO to see Game of Thrones, which is a which is a barrier for a lot of people, including. And it's going to be a barrier to the number of people who've heard about Dothraki. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, yes. I think I am going. Uh, do we have anything else to say about Klingon? Other nope. than... Oh, I wanted to say two things that really pleased me with the vocabulary. Because I thought they were hilarious. <laughs> One of them is... Well, you know, from from, from a certain season up, you had Klingon have rock, rigged foreheads. Yeah. As opposed to the first seasons. So the worst insult you can tell to a to a Klingon is okay. Let me get this right. Hab shortly Well, anyway, it literally means your mother has a smooth forehead. Yeah, that 
that is that is a oh. funny thing. I yes, I figured... it reminded me of Bianca calling table the stapler. In <laughs> it really hurt. Okay. <laughs> it's understandable. William's gonna make a calling out of it, so. <laughs> okay. Well. I really like this. He's actually listened to us. <laughs> yes, he's, I he's, have. He's, 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 he's I don't even listen to us. Stroking our egos the whole episode. Well, I think if that's all we have to say about Klingon... Wait, one more thing. Just one more thing. Um, <laughs> I really liked the word for fish, which is gaudy, which... Is right. The it's the spelling oh, yeah. wordplay for uh, uh, stupid yeah. English orthography. I hate that joke. The joke doesn't work. It's stupid. <laughs> it's 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 funny when you first start learning language. No, it wasn't funny when I first started learning it. It's funny if you're willing to, you know, just go with it. But it's clearly wrong, so it's not funny. Jeez, Bianca, you're so freaking hard to please. Uh, I know. Uh, but uh, no, it's 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 funny at the start. Later on, you realize that it doesn't really hold up very well. But anyway, it's trying too hard to be clever. That's what I don't like about it. I've been yes. trying for a few minutes to wrap this episode up. So <laughs> we have. Um, but yeah, any conlang is going to have some interesting little jokes written into it, but, uh, I like, I think we can wrap this thing up if nobody has anything else to say. Any nope. parting One more words? Thing. What? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> any hey. parting words of wisdom from Bianca? No. From Jaime. Um, not really. <laughs> From William. Kapluck! <laughs> <laughs> really fitting. Which, I don't understand what that means. Success! Oh, okay. okay. I'm going on. That's I'm going Even I knew that one. And I'm yes. going to say... I'm going to, in here, insert something in Klingon and then say Happy Conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find all our episodes and show notes as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds through conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at Conlangery on Twitter. If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, or even suggest your own conlang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line, 304-873-6281. We also have a handy suggestions form on our site. Our theme music was created by Xander Medeus.
Kaplak.